0: you, worship team and teachers. We uh, really appreciate you. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Hope you're you're here hoping to get renewed and fellowship with your brothers and sisters and fellowship with our Lord. We uh, we uh, ask God's blessing on our gathering.
1: I've got a few announcements
0: to make and. Uh, If it sounds like I'm adding things uh, for people who are not physically present in the the building I am, we do do have a few people that are still watching us online, so uh, I want to make sure that they're getting messages and getting uh, the information that we're passing out. Uh, We have our annual meeting right after the service today. Uh, That will include a uh, potluck, which we typically start with a potluck and do the meeting afterwards, but I think today... Uh, Right after service, we're going to take a short break and then get together, have the meeting, which I don't anticipate to take very long. And then whoever wants to remain and uh, have a meal afterwards, we'll have the meal uh, after that. So those who are listening online, I know I sent an email out and was kind of anticipating about 12 o'clock or so to start. Um, We will start a little bit earlier on the meeting, and that will be recorded and posted. So if you don't catch the live stream, you can watch the recording uh, sometime this week. Uh, Daylight Savings Time next weekend, unless you plan on. Always forget which way it would be if you got to set your clock ahead. So I guess if you come at the normal time, you'd be early. I guess you'd be here with the worship team instead of the rest of us. So uh, make sure Saturday night before you go to bed, you you set your clocks. Uh, next week after the service, we are also having a. Um, Memorial for Arlene, be a time of just some fellowship, Uh, some refreshments would be offered, and then we will also be um, uh, having an opportunity, there will be a eulogy, and uh, I think you may have an opportunity if you want to share some things, you might be able to do that. So I hope you can uh, stay after service next Sunday for a little while to celebrate uh, Arlene's life and what she and Phil has uh, meant to. Uh, Redwood Christian Fellowship for many, many years. Um, Phil Scriver's birthday is tomorrow, I believe. I think I have the date right. I have a card out in the foyer if you would like to sign it. I uh, was planning on going this afternoon sometime, and I would take that with me. So feel free if you want to put a personal note down on the card, uh, take care of that, and I'll uh, pass it to him. And
1: uh,
0: men's dinner. We're going to have a men's dinner on March 17th, and uh, this is a corned beef and cabbage dinner. So uh, if you would like to come to that and be part of it, there's also a sign-up sheet out in the foyer for that. We just ask that you sign up so we make sure that we get um, the amount of food that we need. Yes, Ted? Oh, I'm sorry. The 18th. Okay. So it's Friday, uh, March 18th, and please sign up on the sheet if you uh, want to do that. Um, Alan is going to be here tomorrow morning. He's going to open up the church at 6 o'clock from about 6 to 6.45 a.m. and inviting you to come if you would like to spend a little bit of time in prayer, especially, I think, focusing on the conflict going on in Ukraine. And uh, he would invite you to come and uh, uh, spend a little bit of time in prayer with us. And I think with the exception of another birthday that we would like to announce, I believe that's all the announcements, this morning is uh, Nate Lee's birthday. He's 11 years old today. He wasn't able to be here in the service, but they are listening online, uh, live-streaming. And uh, We would like to sing happy birthday to Nate if you would join us. He he sounds like he would really get tickled by that. So let's sing happy birthday to Nate. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nate. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Nate. We love you. (laughs) Bob is uh, not feeling well today, so uh, I wanted to add him to our prayer list. He's just got a little bit of a temperature. Otherwise, he said he feels pretty good, but uh, we asked him to not come today and take it easy and hopefully recuperate because he's got a preach next weekend, so we need to get him back on his feet, otherwise you might end up having to listen to me again, so uh, you might uh, come tomorrow morning and add that to your prayer list, and, <laughs> and
1: unless you do want to hear me
0: again. We're going to continue praying for those who uh, have lost their loved ones, they of Phil, uh, uh, there at um, Sokoa, I think that's the name of that place now, right, Sokoa Springs, Uh, Phil and his extended family, and Diane and her extended family, and uh, our shut-ins, Phil and Joanne, uh, the Braggs, uh, we visited with them a little bit yesterday, and it was good to catch up with them, but they'll be a little while yet before they're able to come back. The Whitmires, uh, they communicated with us recently and and continue to um, look forward to when they can also come back soon. And uh, I think that it will probably happen before too long. And uh, the the conflict in Ukraine, uh, most of you probably are aware of what's going on in the news and the, the refugee issue that's going on and uh, with Russia invading Ukraine. But I just wanted to really pray for the church in particular in Ukraine. Uh, I know many of those pastors and those churches, they're probably staying put. They probably have not. Fled or or left a neighboring country and and uh, may have a tremendous opportunity to do crisis work in Ukraine. So um, let's uh, let's remember to pray for them this morning and for the overall uh, Ukrainian people, of course, and the suffering that's going on there. So let's pray. Lord, again we come to you um, first uh just thank you to worship you, to give you glory. Lord, you are so magnificent. You are so wonderful. You are our creator. You are our father. You are the one who loves us, the one who provides for us and cares for us. You're the one who saved saved your children. Lord, we we thank you. We worship you this morning. And we come to you, Lord, Lord, Asking that you will be with each of us that are are, uh, here this morning. That you will continue to use your word and your Holy Spirit to make us into the men and women that you desire us to be. Make us more and more like our Savior. And uh, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Help us, Lord, that we might be stronger and more mature in our faith and our walk and be able to flee from temptations much quicker, be more quick in confession and repentance of sin, and that we might be more active and more faithful in our worship of you, our evangelism, our our uh, prayer time, our giving, all the things that make our life uh, to be fulfilled. Lord, we have many needs. You know what they are even before we mention them. But Lord, we do want to ask for those who are not feeling well, thinking of Bob in particular, that you will heal his body, protect him from anything serious, and we pray that he'll have a speedy recovery. Lord, there are several that we have in our families that uh, are dealing with cancers, and we ask that you, Lord, will just put their cancer in remission quickly, give them good health, get them back on their feet. We think of Jim Bragg in particular and look forward to seeing him again very soon, uh, being able to fellowship with us again. But we pray for his body and just ask that you strengthen it and help him to be able to uh, build up resistances to various diseases so that he can be around more people again. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, Lord Phil and diane 's family and others joanne, uh, in their past Lord, we just ask that you will be with them, give them comfort and peace, and help us lord to to not forget them and not forget their um, their loss. We look forward to spending some time remembering. Arlene next week and, and ask that that will be a time of of, uh, of enjoyment and joy. And uh, we know, Lord, that she's up there just having a great time right now. We pray for the conflict, Lord, in Ukraine. And we pray for the, the Ukrainian people who are being displaced and families who are losing loved ones in the the war that is going on there, Lord. We just pray that you'll be with the, the leaders in Ukraine, that they might uh, be able to uh, build up a resistance. And, and uh, Lord, whatever the outcome of this, we most of all pray for the church there in Ukraine and ask that they might have opportunities to be able to comfort and bring comfort and and bring uh the needs to the people that they minister to. We pray for the safety of the pastors and the, and the members of those churches as they remain and serve um, your people there. And Lord, we pray that this might be a, a tremendous opportunity for them to be able to not only witness Christ through their lives and their words, but that many, many people might come to know you through this terrible incident that's going on. And Lord, we commit again this service to you and ask that you'll be with us. May your words that you want to be spoken today be all that is spoken. And thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, and one last thing, the uh, daily bread for March, April, and May is, is available out front. So if you are using that, feel free to help yourself. Take some for your neighbors or friends if you want an opportunity to say hello to them and give them something. So this morning we're continuing with our series in First Peter that we've entitled Living as Exiles in the World. We'll be looking at chapter 2 this morning, beginning with the 11th verse, if you want to turn there with me, First Peter, chapter 2, verse 11, and follow along with me. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He also bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But by his wounds you have been healed. For you were stray like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the living word of God. As Bob was preaching last week in the preceding verses here in chapter 2, I was reminded of a couple of things as he was talking and I was looking through that passage that I wanted to point out again this morning to, for you. First of all, that the Bibles that we are using are modern translations frequently have separated the passages into sections. That while they can be convenient for us when reading or looking for a particular passage, doesn't necessarily mean that it was, that is it's accurate contextually. In other words, for whatever reason, they've picked a section, for instance, today is submission to authority, verse 13 through verse 25 in my English Standard Version, that is not to mean that if you read that text the way it is written and kind of forget about the verses around it, that you're going to get a true understanding of that passage. They just decided that that was where they were going to put that subtitle. So don't be confused or don't get into a pattern of just reading that and thinking okay well I don't have to worry about the preceding verses because in this particular case you would miss a tremendous point if we were to do that and we need to make sure that as we are reading uh, a particular passage that we look at it in context to the passages that are around it especially ones before it because a lot of times it's building on a particular subject. And in this case, it it is. The second thing that I think is important and what I thought about was that when we do read a passage, especially one that has commands in it, such as this passage does, things that we as uh, the readers of this text are intended to read and understand and carry out a command, that we need to look at the, the passage in light to the entirety of Scripture. We have a whole Bible. Individual passages doesn't teach the complete thought necessarily of what is being addressed on that particular issue. We need to understand that when we read this passage, we may not always be able to fully understand it. Um, just by reading it, we we need to compare it to what other things are being said. Uh, for instance, um, there may be in, it, it, well even in this case, and I, I'm I'm kind of moving ahead on my notes, so I'm probably going to mess myself up here. But what brought this up was that. Uh, In this particular passage, again, dealing with submission to authority, especially the first opening verses there, if you were to read that passage and solely accept what it says without knowing that in other places of the Bible, it also says that if civil authorities, this is paraphrase, isn't exactly how it's being said, Paraphrasing it, that if civil authorities are trying to get you to do something that's against God's law, then you need to do God's law. But you don't get that message by just reading this particular passage this morning. So we need to understand what it says, but then understand throughout Scripture other commands, other things that we know, so that we can come up with a more accurate understanding of the teaching. Okay? So, in this case, uh, it, um, there are a couple of thoughts that I want to make sure I cover on this, but when we look throughout scriptures, uh, like in Acts 4 and 5, for instance, and examples of people who disobeyed uh, the laws or commands of civil authority when it violated God's Law, such as, and it wasn't wasn't necessarily language, but it was the example of the story. Remember the Hebrew midwives during the times of the um, exodus, or the slavery of the Hebrew people in, in Egypt. They were commanded by the Pharaoh to do what? Kill all the Hebrew firstborn kids. And many of the Hebrew midwives refused to do that. Another example would be Rahab. While she wasn't a believer at the time, God obviously was using her, and she was obviously at that point um, violating the commands of her king there at Jericho when she helped to send the spies out the window and out of the city so they wouldn't be captured and killed. She could have lost her life over that, but she knew that there was something else she needed to do, that that was not what she wanted to do. So to read a passage and not consider the other sections of Scripture can leave you open to error, to misconceptions, to misunderstandings of a particular verse or passage. And to be honest with you, it's just bad Bible studying to do it that way. That's not how you study. You can't, Make all your decisions by dropping your Bible open when you have a a question and look to see what may pop up. That's bad Bible study. Don't do that. While you might get lucky and get a good command, you could also get unlucky and get a very bad command out of that. So, so let's look at today's passage and um, kind of talk about it. Last week, Bob read that we were chosen by God, that we were built into a spiritual house, that we were chosen and precious, if you remember in the beginning of chapter 2 there last week, and that we were once not a people, but now we are a people chosen by God because we have received mercy. We have been saved. The, the, the church he's writing to here, that's what he's addressing. He's addressing Christians in that time. Because of this, we're reminded that we, the readers then, that Paul was addressing directly, but to us today as Christians, that we are not of this world, even though we live In this world. We are aliens. And exiles. And as we live in this world as aliens. We are told that we are to live in an honorable manner. Which includes not giving in to the passions of the flesh. That we should not live, in other words, as the unbelievers do. If your life looks a lot more like your unsaved neighbor, you've got a problem. You should look different. Peter addresses why. And he says that is so that the people of this world will see your actions, see how you live differently from those in the world, and through that bring glory to God. Which is the chief end of man. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose here. Why we've been left behind on earth. After you became a Christian. Is to glorify God. We are His ambassadors we're told. His examples of Christ living in society today. We're representing Him. If we are living in a worthy manner that's worthy of our calling, if we're living correctly, we're His ambassador. Or we're embarrassing Him if we're living in a manner that reflects the world. And I'll leave that to you to kind of Look at your own life and decide how you may stand up to that. Remember the questions that Bob asked himself. Is there enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian? Do my actions, does my life reflect the spiritual change that has taken place inside of me? Or I might add that is there more evidence that I bring shame to his name by my words and actions. How do I live? What kind of example are you in the world? And to continue with this thought, Peter wrote in verse 13. So, tying it into those verses that uh, uh, Bob preached before this, to now... Understanding that it's all part of it, he continues and he says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now notice in that passage that Peter did not write that if you live under a just and good civil government, or a government leader that you agree with, or like, or consider wise, that you are to be subject to them. That's not what he wrote. Nor did he say that if you're currently living under a president or a governor that is of your own political party, or that you would like, that maybe you like what he's doing, or represents what you uh, like on particular subjects that you just subject yourself to them. He didn't say that either. And Peter could have easily written that. Because Peter lived during the Roman Empire at a time that could be very unjust and um, dangerous to the church. Be a Christian at that time was, was something you could be arrested for or your possessions seized by the government. So he knew what it meant to live under an unjust government. But he instructed his readers that are one of these, that is, earlier in chapter 2, if you're one of the chosen that you were to put yourselves in an attitude of submission. A Christian living under any type of government in the world today, and we have a lot of examples of types of governments. If you live here in the United States, or Canada, or Ukraine, or Russia, or China today, it doesn't matter. You are to live as God's people in a humble, in a submissive way. While I can't speak from the viewpoint of someone who lives in the Eastern Hemisphere, I can't tell you what it's like to live in Ukraine or in Russia or China. But I can, with some authority, tell you what it's like to live here in the United States. And I would have to say that the church as a whole hasn't done very good at this over the last few years. And I must confess that I too can be very quick to condemn or speak poorly about our government leaders when they do something that I don't agree with, which sometimes can happen quite often. But that's not how Peter instructed us to respond. More importantly, Peter said that to live this way in submission is God's will for us. Pretty clear. This is the way that God wants us to live in this world. This is the way that He commands us and expects us to live. Further, in verse 15, Peter explains that by living in submission to civil authorities in this manner, that it will shut the mouths of those who criticize our faith. They look and see how Members of the church are living. And for some people, they will look at it and go, Wow, these people are not doing what I would expect them to be doing. The loudest and the clearest example of our faith and our witness that we will ever have is how we live. Things that we do. Witnessing verbally is necessary and it can be very powerful. But if you don't live what you preach, nobody's going to listen. A lot of us could have that example in in your own family raising your kids. If you're telling them one thing, but you do something different, you know the result that comes out of that. People will look at you as being a fraud or someone who doesn't believe what you teach. We've just lived through a very good example of what Peter is addressing here with our response to civil authorities over the last couple years. The pandemic response by our various government authorities, especially when it has pertained or affected the church in general, placed a huge burden and a responsibility on the elders and pastors of all of our churches, not just here, but all the churches that had to, to deal with this very unusual situation that we've gone through. There were different responses by the various churches, even in our own area, to the mandates that were enacted throughout our country. Here at Redwood Christian Fellowship, we were placed in a position at the beginning of the pandemic to either shut down or remain open initially. That was kind of the first issue we had to deal with. And after much discussion and reflection on Scripture, The pastors here decided and agreed that we would temporarily shut down for a short period. However, soon after that, it became evident that the government was wanting us to continue to remain shut down. I don't remember if you remember two years ago. Seems like it was just yesterday for some of us. Because they were considering a church a non-essential business while we agreed to the temporary shutdown to hopefully help accomplish what they were wanting to accomplish by not overburdening our local medical system, we could not agree with the government officials that we were not essential or that we should remain closed. So we reopened. As time continued and government made various requirements and requests on us, It was necessary for the pastors to continually weigh the requirements to scriptures. This included the mass mandate, or when they said that we shouldn't be singing in the worship service. And while I can assure you that not all of the pastors here agreed wholeheartedly with all the various mandates that they were requesting, We did work through them together to see if there was something that we believed were contrary to God's law or not. And the reason that was important is because if it was contrary, then we were okay to reject it. But if it was not, then we have this passage telling us that we need to submit to our authorities in the case of the mass we did not believe it contradicted god 's law because it didn't they weren 't restricting us from meeting they weren 't saying we couldn 't meet they just wanted to space things out and wear masks we felt we could do that when it came to the decision on not seeing the we did feel that that was singing as a huge part of worship. And we could not agree with that. We think Scripture teaches that you should sing in service. So we did not agree to that. We concluded that the various restrictions that we've implemented here at Redwood Christian Fellowship over the, the last couple of years were not contrary to what God commanded and therefore is not something that we should reject or refuse to comply with just because we didn't like it. Government wasn't telling us that we could not worship or gather, at least not after the first rounds of mandates. And we had to also consider what was best for the congregation at large. The young people, the old people, those who have good health and those who have poor health. We know that not all of the decisions that we made were well received by everybody in the congregation. We did get a bit of pushback in the beginning, especially. We may have even lost some members over how we proceeded, and that grieves us. But I can tell you that all of the decisions that were made, were made based on how we believe scriptures address the particular issues. And for the purpose of trying to make it possible and give opportunity for as many members of Redwood Christian Fellowship the chance to be able to attend services. We want all of those who call Redwood Christian Fellowship their church home to come back eventually. We'd love to see everybody come back once you feel comfortable with that decision. But we also hope that if you did leave, that you find a God-fearing, Bible-teaching church and attend it regularly. While we would be saddened that you left us, we just want you to be somewhere. These past couple of years have been very stressful for, I assume, all of us, definitely many of us. And I can speak from knowing the men that I minister with that are your pastors. It's been very stressful for us. Let's continue with verse 16 which is very important for us to understand. It says, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It could be very easy, and I know people who have done this, it could be very easy for someone to conclude that because I'm a Christian, because Scripture teaches that I can't lose my salvation, then I can do whatever I want since it's already been forgiven. And in the end, I know I'm going to go to heaven. Having that type of an attitude is very dangerous very presumptuous, and is wrong. Galatians 5.13 kind of addresses this, where Paul wrote, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We must be very careful that we do not choose to act or do something just because that's what we want to do and not consider other people around us or that will be affected by it. I'm going to try to give you an example. Hopefully I give you one that makes sense to you. While it may generally not be a sin if you're a Christian, for instance, to have wine or a beer at your home or with a meal, you as a Christian could probably come to the conclusion that there's nothing wrong with that putting aside other issues at this point, if you just look at it with just that condition. That is something that you could do. You have the liberty to do that. But if you were to add any number of other things to that scenario, for instance, you were going out and having multiple beers or multiple glasses of wine and you were getting drunk. Or you were to get get maybe not drunk, but enough that you're under the influence and you get behind the wheel and you drive your car. Or you offer alcohol at a dinner when you know there's somebody who has come to the meal that maybe is a recovering alcoholic or is maybe a new Christian, and you're just trying to be sociable, but you put out alcohol on the table not knowing anything about this young person or this young Christian. Then any of these added scenarios can very quickly become sin to you. Where the initial incident may not have been the other things that took place now has become sin for you. Because according to Galatians and many other passages of Scriptures, we should be serving and loving one another. So in those scenarios, if you were doing it solely for your own desires that you don't see anything wrong with it and you're just ignoring other things going on around you, you're not doing it in a way that's loving to others. We are to do what is best or in the best interest of other people instead of insisting on always getting our own way. Christian freedom is this. It is doing what you ought, not what you want. It's doing what you should be doing, not what you want to be doing. Christian freedom is never to be an excuse for self-indulgence or license. While we are American citizens Here, with all the freedoms and rights that are granted by the Constitution. We're also Christians, which the passage from last week tells us we're aliens. We're aliens in this world and must be very careful to balance out how we live with the primary goal of glorifying God and living in a way that brings honor to Him, not only through our words, but our actions. Even if it means that we give up or not claim some of those rights we have as American citizens. the second type of authority that's addressed in this passage is that of slave to master. We look at that and go, okay, we can teach on that, but what does that have to do with us? I mean, we don't really have that type of a social relationship anymore. Definitely not here. But generally... I've been taught that this passage could be um, looked at in comparison to the employer-employee relationship. Hopefully, you're not in one that it's really like master and slave. If you do, you might want to consider a job change. But there's some similarities in what is being taught there. It is clear that being a Christian from this passage does not give you the right to rebel against a superior in the social structure that you are in. No matter how unfair or harsh he or she may be. So if you look at this passage and decided that this solely dealt with master-slave, the, the the definition I just gave you or the, the statement I just gave you applies still. But if you were to take it as an employer-employee relationship, it applies also. You can have an unfair employer. You can have one who's unjust. You can have one who is not very nice to work for. And over the years, I've had some good ones and I've had some bad ones. And probably most of you have had the same scenarios in your life. But it doesn't allow you the right to rebel against that person. This would mean civil authorities or our employers, among other authorities in our social structure. It doesn't matter who we're addressing. You need to be careful and and assess how you're living under that authority. Peter writes that as a Christian, you will find favor with God when you respond properly to the actions of an unjust employer because it shows your faith in a sovereign God. So not only is it right for you to do it, but if you were not to do it, you would be shorting yourself a favor that you would have been getting had you been living properly under that relationship. Peter's point is that a Christian, because he says in verse 21, to this you have been called, can expect at some time to endure unfair treatment. Maybe not at work necessarily, but hearing stories like Bob shared, I I think last week, but definitely in a sermon just recently, reminding us about his incident with getting fired from one company and then later on they rehired him and it was because of his faith. Peter tells us that at some time, if you're a Christian, you will be unfairly treated. Therefore, commemorable behavior on the part of a Christian when trials arrive results with your faith and life becoming stronger and being perfected while we are here on earth. It's part of our spiritual growth to go through those unfair treatments and those trials that we go through in life. If it's health, if it's something from the civil authorities, if it's something from our employers, if it's something from our family, if it's something from our friends, wherever the trial comes from, it is to our better spiritual health to live through it, endure through it, And hopefully live the way you were supposed to, representing God through it. Because you are going to be better in the end. You will be stronger in the end. Remember what James chapter 1 says, Counted all joy, my brothers. And there are times when I can't say that when I had to go through a particular trial that the first thing that came to mind was counting it as joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think sometimes it would be great to have an idea, maybe a a glimpse into the future if God would ever grant it to me when I'm facing a particular decision or a particular incident. But then I think almost immediately after I say that, that I probably would not have gone in that direction if I would have had a glimpse of it. Because some of those directions we take, some of those decisions we make lead us into trials that we would not have put ourselves in. And according to these passages, you would be losing out by not experiencing them. Peter says that he is, by doing this we are being called to something. What are we being called to? patient endurance, according to verse 20. And then Peter gives us a perfect example of what that looks like from Isaiah. In verse 21, Peter wrote, for you, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. The meaning of this word, That was translated to mean to to example in our text is actually the thought of taking a piece of tracing paper. Probably not a lot of people do that anymore. But taking a piece of tracing paper and placing it over original writing and tracing it out so that you have an exact copy. That's what that word means. It's a pattern. It means that Christ is the pattern for Christians to follow in suffering with perfect perfect patience. How do I do it? Look how Jesus did it. That's our pattern. His death on the cross not only accomplished the atonement for sin for those that he saves, but it also provides for us a perfect example of endurance in unjust suffering. While he suffered at the hands of unjust men for things that he did not do, for he committed no sin and had no deceit in his mouth, he did not scorn them back. He didn't return accusations to them. He didn't threaten them. Imagine, he's he's the king of kings. He could have called down angels to destroy these people that were taking him off, but he didn't do any of that. He was silent instead. But he continued to stand in faith and trust on his Heavenly Father who judges justly. He bore the sins of those he saved so that Christians may die to sin and live to righteousness. If you've confessed Christ and believe. The penalty of your sins have been paid for by his death. And now you have risen to walk in new life, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. For by his wounds, you were healed. And that should be a hallelujah. For you were straying like sheep but have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a great passage this is. So when you face trials, and you will, no matter what type, you are able and expected to face them with patient endurance in faith that you serve the sovereign and just God of the universe. When we face injustice or things from our civil authorities that we don't like or think are unfair, we are to submit to them and honor them. Remember that passage in there too? Honor them. With the exception that must be reviewed carefully, when man's law contradicts God's law as it was provided in Scripture. So as we enter our time of communion, we have this particular passage of Scripture that helps us to remember what it is that we celebrate in communion. Those last verses of that passage, what a great reminder of what Christ did for us. The remembrance of Jesus Christ having his body broken for us and his blood shed for us to purchase our righteousness, our salvation. To regather the stray and wandering sheep and return us to the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. If you're here today and you are not a believer, you don't understand some of this that I've been talking about this morning, and I invite you at the end of the service, come up and grab me, and I'd be glad to talk with you. And I do ask, as we take communion, we're going to have you come up and, and uh, get your the uh, different elements, whichever side you want to use. You either have to pre- set one or you have one that's uh, in a cup on the side, if you're not a believer, I just would ask that you uh, just sit and just let it pass and and uh, not partake in it. It's for believers. It's for those of us of the church. And with that, with the worship team will come up and uh, we'll celebrate communion together. During the music, please come up and... Uh, Get a cup for you. Just rereading those couple verses at the end of chapter 2. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strayed like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're told in 1 Corinthians 11 by Paul that he was given these verses. Um, from Christ it says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together And in the same way also he took the cup Oh, we have so much to be thankful for, Lord. But most of all, we thank You for our salvation. We thank You for this time of communion that we're able to week to week remember what it is that and what it costs You and Your Son for our salvation. We pray, Lord, that You will help us to understand it better, And let that be one of the reasons why we are willing to live a life of sacrifice in this world. We pray that you help us to be the men and women that you desire us to be in this world. Help us represent you as your ambassador. And be a better example of the light in this dark, dark world. Be with us this week, Lord. We pray that you will... Guide us as we go about our business and our responsibilities. Help keep us from sin and help us to remember whose child we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll get together in about 15 minutes after the service, so you have a little bit of time to visit, have some coffee or something, and then uh, come back in here if you'd like to stay for the meeting. We'll we'll start the, the annual meeting. He closes.